Welcome to the American Soccer Show. Eric Alcantara here with card-carrying member of the Goalkeepers Union, Emma McConnell. We're here to talk all things soccer in America. On this show, we'll talk about some of the games from the second week of MLS, including the barn burner between the Chicago Fire and Sporting Kansas City. We'll also have a double dose of Champions League to talk about. But Emmett, how are you this afternoon? Something's missing in me. The uh, I gotta say, the, the daylight, it's not wasn't daylight savings time. That doesn't. That's not what messed with me. It was all these buys. In, in MLS, we missed Dallas play one I could forget about. <laughs> but they, Toronto, they were glad. yeah. Well, they tor- Toronto, yeah. Who you know always exciting to watch, especially that team that lost to Columbus last week. Um, the Red Bulls actually played. Who who else didn't play? Seattle, Seattle didn't play. And of course the Philadelphia Union, the one team that I wanted to watch. Nobody missed them. Uh, they've been playing good soccer in that first game. So it's just every week it's something. It's a Chicago Fire, and now it's you know yeah, Seattle, it's Toronto. Be weird. It's messing with me. Every, you like you start watching one team, you're like, oh, I love watching LAFC. I'm gonna keep watching LAFC, and then I have to buy before you know it. So it's, it's actually really weird that they chose to, because I mean, you only technically need one team on a buy every week, and yet you've seen one. They seem to have chosen multiple. I find that interesting. And I feel like it's four. Yeah, right. Is, is it, am I forgetting someone with Seattle, Toronto, Union, Union, Dallas? That's uh, four. And who am I missing? There was one more. I couldn't figure it out the other oh, day. Oh, that, there does have to be one, right? Because there's 23 teams in the league and there's 19 teams. If you yeah, so do that. I, I couldn't figure it out. It must have been a very forgettable team. <laughs> Maybe we'll figure it out by we, the end. We apologize to whatever team it is that did not play this week. You know, Emmett, I have something for you. How, how enjoyable would 21 straight hours of Champions League be, in your opinion? Well, it depends who's playing because Champions League doesn't matter. Well, it does matter, but Champions League just itself instills this this drama within well, it. So 21 hours, I could probably do 20. 21 might be pushing. <laughs> 20, okay, so here's the thing. I have something for you. Uh, you could watch roughly 21 hours of Champions League action tomorrow if you were to do this. Now, you'd have to find some streams for some of these, but I'm sure you're, you're very talented people out there. You start off at 4.30 in the morning. There's all, all these times are Eastern. 4.30, kickoff between Melbourne Victory and Kawasaki Front Tail. Then at 6, you got Kashima Antlers taking on Sydney FC. Can I stop you there for a second? Could you name one player in either of those two teams? Because I couldn't. No. No. That's fine. Uh, 8 a.m., Shanghai Shenhua taking on... Is that Oscars team? It might be. It might very well be. So we can name one there. (laughs) Versus Suwon Blue Wings. 8 a.m. right there. And then you can catch the 8.30, the end of the 8.30 game between Tractor Sazi and Al Jazeera. What a what a game there. 11.15 a.m., Al Saad take on Nasaf. And then at 1.15, Al Ali versus Al Garaf. A lot of Al's. And then, then you can get are all the Saudi teams. I was yes. looking at the other day. Every Saudi team has Al in front of it. It's probably like their version of FC. Perhaps. You can move on then to the actual Champions League. Uh, 3.45, kickoff between Manchester United and Sevilla. Every game... Uh, pushed back because of daylight saving, by the way. Thank you, America. Yeah. Uh, Copi Libertadores then kicks off at 6.15, Atletico Tucumán versus Libertad. Then at 8.30, Vasco da Gama taking on Universidad Chile. And then pretty, pretty good game. You can co- yeah, yeah, it's a cracker of a game. And then you can move over to North America, switch over to see the end of 9 p.m. kickoff between New York Red Bulls and Tijuana. And then the 11 o'clock kickoff between Tigres and Toronto, a late game, but, I mean, that one probably gets over just before 1 in the morning. Now, can we just clear something up here? This is all on just one day. This was one day, this yes. This is all Tuesday. This is all tomorrow. And Isn't that exciting? I may watch two games that day. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that exciting? I mean, oh, goodness. It's ex- uh, I mean, just all the names is exciting. The amount of soccer that's going to be played, maybe disheartening. <laughs> maybe, maybe a lot to handle, but, uh, yeah, if you're interested... All right, uh, let's actually get going to the second week of MLS. The Chicago Fire opened up their season against Sporting Kansas City after a week off. There was a lot of curiosity as to what personnel Velko Panovic was going to use. In the end, he stuck with the trusted 4-2-3-1, and he used Schweinsteiger in sort of that attacking uh, central midfielder role. What did, you, uh, what did you think of the lineup? I think it's their best 11, honestly, right now with all the injuries. I'm with you on that. I was glad to see Solonyak out there. I didn't think Bacaro was anything special. In that preseason game, in fact, I would say he was the opposite of special. But uh, we also saw new uh, Sanchez come into the lineup, replace Cleveland. We talked about it last time. Your goalies cannot be losing you points. Yeah, and, and I think he goals, might have lost one. He, yeah, it was. It's it's their best lineup. Y- you look through it; that's strong in most places. 
the one place or two, I guess you would say, is maybe there's one place at defense and that goalkeeper they could clean up a little bit, and that that's a, that's that's a, you know an impressive looking side. Yeah, I find the issue to be that I mean, so like you know, Dean, Dean had a had a bad game himself, and that's something that will be be replaced. You think Campbell will come back into the side and mm-hmm. slot back in there? That him and Kapelhoff should be fine next to each other. Uh, Polster has seen better days, but you know, I thought he's, he, a, good right he's back. a fine he's a fine right back. He he didn't have a great game, but he may be one of the better can, right backs in the league. I mean, you'll I live with, you live, you can live with what he does he, out there. He puts in a shift. Yeah, and so I mean, you know, Brandon Vincent it looks like he's coming along nicely. So th- really, that one hole at center back, there's not too much you can do about it right now, thanks to the injuries. And then there's no ready made option. I know the Fire like Cleveland, but I think he's still a ways away from starting games in MLS. So you just hope that Sanchez continues to play replacement level, which he did not on Saturday. I mean. Yeah. I mean, look, Sanchez is, in my, in my mind, probably a backup-level goalkeeper in the league. You just go across each team. Most teams have a quality goalkeeper. I mean, you could look at teams that maybe are the more forgettable teams. I mean, I was watching uh, the D.C.-Atlanta game, and uh, D.C. had Usted in goal. He's been around the league. He's been in, like, every team on the Western, on the Western seaboard. But he's a good goalie. He, he, he makes saves out there. He's not going to be a liability. And I, I'm, I struggle to find... That many goalies are going to be a liability. Maybe you could say, you know, Brad Guzon, despite all his pedigree, yeah, loses he, Atlanta points every once in a while. I mean, it's tough to say he lost them points in that 4-0 thrashing against <laughs> Houston. But for the most part, you're, the goalies across the league are not going to be losing them their team points. Yeah, I, I would say that. I mean, Sporting Casey ends up winning this game 4-3. It was like a it was crazy back and forth because they go up 2-0 before the half. And then... In the span of 12 minutes, the fire turned the game on its head. They scored three unanswered goals, and suddenly you sent me a message, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I couldn't believe it myself personally. Here I was. I already had my ramp prepared for today, and I said, fire everybody. Clearly this has gone south. And then, Classic fire, pun yes, from all canter. Yes, yes, yes. They, <laughs> they, they turned the game around on its head, and then I, but Emmett here was trying to celebrate with me, and I'm like, uh, let's give it a few minutes. Yeah, you say celebrate, but I was more astonished. At the time, I think my message was something along the lines of, what the, what is going on in this game? How are there these many goals being given up? Yeah, there's the, and then where's the defense? The Fire give up two goals in the span of four minutes to lose the game. So, you know, in typical MLS fashion, sometimes you just don't know what's going on. And this game got out of control at the end. That last goal, you, you mentioned that you thought it was a, a nice piece of play by, the, by Sporting Kansas City. I would have to agree with you. That was a really nice build-up play. Of the goals I, I saw... You could probably say, okay, yeah, Chicago needs to track back a little bit. They looked outnumbered in the box. It was a nice play. That that back heel, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name, but uh, Saloy? Come on, help me out here. Uh, well. <laughs> Salois? S a l l o i. The announcers always say, and I, I can't, I can't figure it out. But it was a great back heel from him, and then the dummy, and. That was the one goal I saw, and I was like, "Okay, gonna give him, gonna give him applause for that." Just well done. The rest of them, I was like, "Where is the rest of the team? You can't be lying that at home, home opener uh, specifically for Chicago, yeah. and then for Sporting Kansas City, the best defense in the league last year." I don't know. I expected better from both teams. I thought this was gonna be a one 0 to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got the opposite of that. I mean, Quite the, the the thing of that bothered me, and then stopped bothering me when I thought about it. You know, the last time the Fire played at Toyota Park, they gave up four goals too. So that's not helping, and that's that's kind of irking me a little bit today. But the other thing I'll say is their performance was a heck of a lot better in this game than it was in that game against the Red Bulls in the playoff, where the Fire looked completely lackadaisical before turning it around on its head. This time. They were the last time I should say they were just awful the whole game. I, I I'm getting a note from uh, my producer here. The pronunciation is shallowy. Shallowy. And by producer I mean I'm just remembering now how the announcers okay. pronounce it. There's no producer on this show. I hope that's abundantly clear to everybody. That was a bad joke. I guess we'll see. See how that one goes over. <laughs> uh, yeah, brutal. Christian Dean was brutal. I, I keep I keep ragging on him. I feel bad, but he he was rough. And then I tell you one other thing. I do question Velko Panovic on one thing. He subs in Ellis, Kevin Ellis, into this game, 
and he runs to a back three, something that I don't know that the Fire have practiced a whole lot with this group of person. It's almost impossible. This Vincent guy was, in the center, right? Uh, he did something like that. He, he used a back three at the end to try to put some pressure on. They have the center backs to be able to do this because you mentioned Vincent, and Vincent, I think, works really well on a back he three. Was, he was a center back. Uh, I think a lot of people thought when he got drafted he'd be playing center back for Chicago. It works. Yeah, fullbacks tend to make decent center backs in a back three. And Most he, players he's... aren't natural fullbacks. We'll start with that. <laughs> so you have to be a transition from somewhere. So, you know, uh, I thought Vincent was uh, decent in that role, but I thought putting Kevin Ellis, who just joined the team this week, right? Yeah, he was just recent so, signing. Uh, you got to be kidding me, Falco. That is insane. Going out there with a formation, there's no way they've practiced it enough to just go to it at a, in a game. Well, this soon. I remember looking back to that Tulsa game. They, they threw uh, Vincent in the back in that game, and he just doesn't look prepared for it. And I'm with you. I don't think that they're prepared to do that. It's like one of those coaches who just prepares their 4-2-3-1 every week, though. I will say that it, they do kind of switch fairly fluidly between a 4-2-3-1 and just a 4-3-3. Right. Uh, with Dax sitting behind and then uh, Tony Chani and Schweinsteiger just, just before him, kind of both being kind of box-to-box guys buzzing about. But it doesn't. It's like he's like, well, we need a goal. Let's just we'll play three at the back, and they're like, how do we do that? Well, just Brandon, you go in the center back. You got it. <laughs> this actually that does remind me a little I, bit. I had a coach who did that. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, compare the two because Valko Panovic, I have a lot of respect for. But the Northwestern men's soccer coach, I was doing a game. They were playing Michigan State, and Michigan State's really good, and Northwestern mm-hmm. men not so much. And it was still only a one nothing game for most of the day. They had a lot of chances in the at the beginning of the second half. I still remember it. I was doing commentary for the game, and it's about the 79th minute, and coach decides it's time to switch things up and go further attacking forward. So he moves to a back three. With uh, His best attacking player ends up becoming the left wing back. I still remember telling my commentary partner, this is really bold because if it doesn't work it's going to fall completely on its face and sure enough Michigan State got him on the counter and absolutely destroyed him this this idea that you can just change to a back five or a back three whenever you want I, I it's one of the more disturbing trends in the game these days and uh, I think the biggest problems I see with that is your, your issues with wing backs because what do you do do you, do you take a wing back and turn them into a center back to make three at the back because then you're actually just taking away an attacker because you had two at the back, and now you have three. Yeah, it's one thing and when then you, you have to move an attacker back to play wing back. Exactly, and uh, so in that sense, he moved. He's a high motor player. I'm not saying he's not. His name's Tommy Katsianis, a very talented freshman. I just, I mean, th- for him, I feel like it's a waste of his talents because he not uh, he does have to track back. You can't play with a back three and expect the wing backs to not put in shifts defensively because otherwise the formation doesn't work. And I've seen it done before, where a coach takes out a center back instead of moving a wing back into the middle, with the hopes that they're. You know, fullbacks, wingbacks, what have you, are going to pinch in and kind of help back. But because you're playing so attacking, they keep pushing up, and now you have one center back. So it's one of those things, you got to practice it. I'm, I have to assume at some point. You would think pitch, that you have to think they've practiced it. They did, did use it a little bit once. last year, but the, the problem I keep coming back to is Ellis comes into the game, and there's no way. I, he has not been on this team long enough. There's no way you can sit there and tell me with a straight face that this man has practiced anywhere near enough to say that he should be comfortable in a back three all of a sudden well, with these players next to him. Uh, that's a good point. I don't know. It, it, you could say it was questionable. He doesn't bring on Baccaro. Uh Could it have been Not to be fair, he brings on Collier. He does bring on Collier, who I'm a fan of. Who, But he takes off Katai, which I thought was interesting. He might be working off the rust, though. He did seem like he, yeah, it's he, been a little while for look, him. He's got the ability, but it looks like he's, he's of all the people, who's, he's still working into the lineup. And working into full fitness, I think Chani's still working his way into kind of getting to know the lineup. Yeah. But, you and know, I thought Chani was got, fine. They got people trying to fit in. It's not too ridiculous to think that this one other guy who's also trying to fit into the lineup uh, is... It is a lot of moving parts. You know, I will say that. Chani, I thought... Different. I thought Chani played fine for somebody that joined the team two weeks ago and has been... I mean, that's still limited time. I, I think that it goes understated that it does take a little while for people to join teams like this and get acquainted with the system. He is playing in a natural role for him, though. I think that helps. Uh, I thought Schweinsteiger had a decent game in the midfield. I, I think that the Fire will prefer to continue to lighten the burden on Schweinsteiger as much as they can. They don't want him to have to play such a crucial role in the midfield where he is. You mentioned he played a little more box-to-box in this game, even though he, he definitely was placed in front of Chaney and McCarty. But I think it's just his attitude. His, his work he, he wants to work. Him back. He, he, he wants to work. And Same I think thing with Chani pushing forward. That's why it kind of looks like that, because Dax doesn't really push forward except for set pieces. 
Yeah. So it's Johnny and He does Sean have the header. McCarty had the header on the set piece that yeah. set up Nikolic. He, he wins header. The same thing at the Red Bulls. He gets up there and he wins headers. You're like, this guy can't be bigger than 5'9". He has no right winning. But he, he does it. It's impressive. <laughs> it's it's impressive. And a good goal right. by Nikolic, too. Real poacher's goal. i tell you one thing that got me excited. Nikolic's reaction to both goals and he he got fired up with the celebration. Another punt from all cancer, killing it. Yes. Yeah, he, got, he looks invested. He really does. I and love that. I don't know if you saw that quote from uh, Michael DeLeu. I did not. Recently um, about Chicago Fire fans. Oh, right, coming for the party. coming for a night out, whereas oh. you know, in the Netherlands the fans are actually fans. Oh, I think it was taken a little bit out of context. Uh, he's probably frustrated with an injury or something. And, and, you know, it's possible he didn't mean it exactly the way it came out. But it's nice to see some people on the team really, you know, see, seeing how invested they are, like Nikolic. You can tell he's invested. You can tell Dax That's and a man with some passion. Yeah. are invested. It looks like most of the guys are on board. That's true. I, that, I can't ask for much more than that. It, it, it's a loss, but I can I can live with a 4-3, I think. Uh, I thought Katai showed up in the second half. Uh, the the jury will be out on him for a few weeks, but I see I see exactly what they saw. He's got clearly, technical ability. Clearly a very technically sound player. Clearly a guy who can get forward and create the last pass. Uh, he scored a brilliant header off the off the flick by Schweinsteiger. That was a great individual piece mm-hmm. by him. I, I think the jury's still out, but I, I see exactly where they're going with a player like that. So I'm I'm good with that. Yeah, it, it's a matter of time for I think just a matter of time with him and and Shani. I didn't even give it to Ellis some credit there. A little bit of time to, to mesh perfectly. There, uh, it was a good tie. It, it is. He's got the ability. Well, you, it, that more than Shani, I think you have to see how he meshes because Shani is just a workhorse. He's gonna put in. He's gonna, he's gonna put in a shift no matter what. Maybe he might not have the best game here. Or there, he's probably not gonna be bagging all your goals, but. You know, the guy always looks interested in the game. I was yeah. watching him when he was in Vancouver before. He looks. He always, he always looks like he's you know he, he he's willing to do everything on both sides of the ball. Yeah. I agree. All right. We can move on. Uh, I know we love our Chicago Fire here, but uh, we'll whip around the rest of the league here and just give some thoughts on each game. Uh, The Columbus Crew at home again, defeating the Montreal Impact. So back-to-back wins for the Crew, 3-2. Last-minute goal by Jossie's artist on a penalty. That was a bad penalty to give away. That was shocking. Petrasso Petrasso at right back has not been holding up to the same standards as uh, his partner on the other side, Daniel Lovitz who you know I love to talk about, uh, given that I played with him. That's my gimmick. Day. Stay away from it. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that one. But he got another assist. I mean, though, I guess the more important thing was that Raheem Edwards volley to equalize it at 2-2 was absolutely outstanding. Uh, impact haven't, weren't great on the road last year. I think they had two or three wins, most famously a 3-0 thrashing in the Philadelphia Union at Talon Energy Park. Famously? Okay. <laughs> well, Union lost maybe two games at home that year, and that was one of them, and that was a bad loss. Uh, the Impact have a qual- have some quality players. Raheem the- Edwards with that goal. Absolute, absolute quality goal. Wondering a few, few question marks in their team. It looks like they're trying to struggle to fill that Simon hole. Um, Petrasso at right back, I'm not 100% sold on, as well as uh, a couple other positions. But, you know, Ignacio Piatti sometimes can do it all himself. His first goal is amazing. So I think a lot of it has to be given to credit to the crew. Uh, they played well. They, they drew two penalties. That's Perhaps letting them back in the game. I don't remember the first one. That second one was just a bad challenge. It's the end of the game. Yeah, what are you doing? you got to have it better than that. you got to do better than that if you're Montreal... Especially when you know Raheem Edwards' goal comes through, and you think, "Oh, they've salvaged the point away from home." And maybe they have, and they have the uh, the momentum. Maybe they could get another one. I mean, I know that penalty was like the last kick of the game, but hard to start a losing uh, a season with two losses back to back. By the way, that's another thing. Though to be fair, they did start on the road both games. Wait till we see them at home next week against Toronto. They are, are they at home that game? Should be a good one. Uh, either way, it's the, yes, it's the Canadian home. Derby. The Canadian Derby? Yeah, uh, I like that. Sorry, Vancouver. I know you already <laughs> played one against Montreal, but just because of the vicinity, Montreal, Toronto. Is the vicinity, I was going to say, yeah. Vancouver's on the other side of the country. Yeah, that's not as much of a rivalry as Vancouver is with Seattle. Uh, impressed with Zardes, but well, time well, will tell uh, him. I'm, I'm not convinced, but I got, I'll tell you one thing. Two goals. Greg Berhalter, if he were named the U.S. men's national team coach tomorrow... I don't know that I would complain anymore because... I was telling you last week, and the first week where we went on for about four, four hours, he's a, he's one of the most impressive coaches in the league. And 
he just gets so much out of all these players. I have to say, he got two goals out of Zardes, who's been struggling in you know past years, who wasn't even that great under Bruce Arena. I was just gonna the say maybe US the, yeah, Bruce coach. Bruce Arena may not have been the answer for Giassi Zardes because I, I I will say this, Zardes has lacked a confidence. I think he he really I think has lived in his own head a lot of times because of his failures with the national team at times because of his lack of production at the Galaxy for long periods of time to, to step up and take that penalty at the end of the game with everything on the line I gotta say that's that's change right there that's the kind of goal that changes a guy you gotta wonder if Higuain gave him the, let him take the ball Higuain just didn't want it because Higuain took the first one I was gonna say that is interesting that they also did the second and. Then they get the second, and Zardes takes this one. I mean, again, I'm, I'm looking across that team at people who can take this penalty. you got to assume your captain, Will Trapp, wants to take it. you got to assume Archer, an incredibly talented young guy, wants to do whatever he can. He, he, I mean, he's probably not the first guy to take it, but he probably wants it. You, Santos probably wants it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he's, so he's, probably no wants shortage it, of like, options of what you're saying, and still Jossie's artist steps to the spot. And yeah, I mean he's your striker, so it's great to see him do, go ahead and do that. Yeah. Uh, I I think you're going to see a lot out of him under Burhalter. On the other side, Ola Kamara may struggle in LA. Yeah, it, I Burhalter, the guy's a good coach. I would like to see him as the as the U.S. coach. I don't know if he had the same amount of time as he gets with guys at Columbus. Well, it'll get a lot of groans. I can tell you that right now. Some, yeah, they will get some not like it, it might not be a popular one, but I don't know. I mean, I have to say, of all the U.S.-based coaches currently in MLS, he might be the one that I would, if I had to pick someone from MLS currently, probably be the one. I haven't seen the Columbus crew play a boring game. If you, even if you're a United States fan and he doesn't do great, you're not going to see a boring game. <laughs> it's always exciting. 11,098 was the attendance for this one, the lowest of the week. I don't know that it was even close, to be honest. I don't think it was. That's not good. I mean, you just look at the gap between that game and the uh, all-time MLS attendance record being broken by Atlanta with 72,000, I think it was? 72,000-something, yeah. Absurd. That's 60,000 more people that they got. 72,035. Almost seven times as many people showing up to that Atlanta game. Yeah. Do you think it was a matter of the whole moving to Austin fiasco? Like, it's just <sighs> killing the... the I don't know. The city? I mean, the supporters uh, showed up, but everyone you, else didn't. Yeah, you mentioned the supporters. I felt like they showed up, so it didn't It didn't bother me so much watching on TV, but then when I saw the attendance number, I was floored. This, and there was one other game that I felt was kind of dead, and the, the supporters did what they could, but the New England Revolution in Colorado, we'll talk about in a little bit, that game also felt the same kind of way. It just feels like... There's just nothing. There's no, like, passion there. And, again, I'm not – I don't want to uh, put this on the supporters of the Columbus crew who are very clearly very passionate fans, but it has become abundantly clear to me that Precord is perhaps happy to let this thing fail. There have been signs of that with his deals with sponsorships and just marketing the team. It isn't – He clearly uh, well, doesn't care, the, I think. The fans, right? You look at the supporters section. It was full. They were loud. They were, they were shouting. They seem to care. The average fans, I think, a little disinterested with what Precourt has done. Which is a real shame. They, and it's, they might not even be thinking about that at the moment. They might, some of them might be saying, oh, I'm not going to show because of Precourt. But I think for the most part, it's just... They, a, a level of apathy generated by ownership, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, ownership hasn't gained any, any, any excitement. Some of it has to be given to that. I think it's, it's, it's the MLS 1.0 teams we were talking about, New England and Colorado in the other game. Yeah. Just about as MLS 1.0 as it gets. Even the, even the fire, we, we had already talked about this game, but, I mean, not exactly a great uh, showing for the first game of the season. It is officially measured at 14,000, so only 3,000 more, and not even. Yeah. It's actually less than 3,000 more. That's that's not good. 14,000. Yeah. At, a, at your home At your home opener. opener. Not a good sign. Yeah. I think the fans in Chicago are also kind of questioning what's going on uh, in the front office. I, mean, I know they, I am. Been making, right? I mean, they've been making deals with players. They signed that deal with ESPN Plus, but oh man, that, <laughs> that's a whole. Po- I think that's a whole podcast in and of itself. That's that's bringing in seven figures, but so, Taylor Twelman got very angry on Twitter, saying that anybody who thought it was a bad idea should be taken over to a mental hospital. I think, like he was, he was very adamant that the, anybody that thought that this was a bad idea clearly didn't know what they were talking about. So. I think the problem is. When you want to get new fans in... Easy for him to say, by the way, working for ESPN. Right. I mean, if, well, there's no way he's going, to be, he's going to be talking bad on it. But I think you want to get new fans in, you, you reach out, 
to new fans, right? There's the fans, there's the two sides. There's the fans that you haven't gotten yet and the ones that you have, but you need to get to the stadium. Neither of them want to go to the stadium. But now you're running into the problem of you're not going to get that many new fans if they have to pay for ESPN Plus to watch your games. I mean, the, and that could be a problem. For them. I do understand the idea, right? Because they're like they want to reach the younger audience, and they say the younger audience is cutting cable by the the boatloads. I'd like to point out TV is not dying as fast as you think it is. Trust me, if you do if you do look at the numbers, you'll see TV is still very much kicking, and because of and it live sports, in a lot of money. it does. And look, I get the fire we're paying to be on CSN or NBC Sports Chicago now, as it's known. I, I understand that, and I'm all for the team making money because clearly they need it. Clearly. I just think that that TV deal, even one more year, may have been more beneficial than going to ESPN Plus now because I, I, the, you're not wrong about the casual fans. Like That, to me, is the biggest thing is getting on TV where it's the easiest place for anybody in the area to discover you with. It didn't even have to be with CSN. They used to be on uh, Channel 50 here. I think it's, it's my network TV now. This was back. It may have been before that. It's a CW affiliate now, so things may be weird in that sense, but I can't imagine that there was any shortage of places that you could have put the games on. You could have done both. You could have made the games available in Chicago on ESPN+. Plus, like Because uh, I believe the Sounders have done that. The Sounders- ESPN Plus is like... The new, uh, the new MLS streaming service. Yeah, the Seattle's exclusive for Chicago. The, Sea- the only difference. The Seattle Sounders. I mean, it's a good deal if you're going to watch more than just Fire games. I think it's an excellent deal actually, because five dollars a month gets you all the games, and it also now just becomes the home of the Chicago Fire. Exactly. Uh, it's interesting. We'll see. We will see. But you know, speaking on that, going back to my hometown, the Philadelphia Union's TV deal also ran up last year, and they did sign with the CW affiliate with ABC. So, it, there's always local options, and I think you do run I, that risk of you're not going to get... When I go around the city, you don't see anything at Chicago Fire. There's Bears stuff, there's Cubs stuff all over the place, and whether or not that's paid advertising or just a fly the W flag, that, that there's nothing like that in Chicago that makes people th- remember, oh yeah, the Chicago Fire in Chicago. They definitely you will see that for to. almost every other team, the Bulls, the Blackhawks. Every team, yeah. The White no. Sox, even. Hey, not, what do you mean even? <laughs> even. Yeah. Well, it's the one team I, think I forgot to name so far. Ouch. So, yeah, you need to you need to have people who are just scanning channels and go, oh, yes. there's a sports game on. Chicago I think so. Game. I, I think on. the Fire would have been better off maybe trying to go back. I don't. Maybe, maybe nobody was interested. That's, that's also a possibility. I, I wasn't in the negotiation, but I find it hard to believe that the, somebody, like, again, Channel 50 has no crazy programming going on on Saturdays for the most part. I really doubt that they weren't open. And while we're on it for a moment, I almost forgot about something. Uh, you know uh, Dan Kelly, the Chicago Fire's... Uh, the voice of the Chicago the Fire, The voice yeah. of the Chicago Fire. Guess who just followed me on Twitter? <laughs> Dan Kelly, huh? None other nice, than... Nice. We'll have to get him on the show sometime. That, that might be an in for me. Yeah, we'll have to we could, see what we can do. We could definitely just big news that. for me. Today, uh, Dan Kelly sure. actually didn't do the game on the weekend, if you didn't uh, catch did that right notice. away. Mike Watts did it instead. Mike, I want Mike Watts' job, by the way. Mike Watts does, like, Champions League games midweek for the CONCACAF on the Go90 app. He does USL games every week for ESPN3. Now he's, like, the fill-in guy for the fire. Sign me up for that. Seems like a nice job. Meanwhile, I was looking uh at Paul Tenorio on the sidelines, that might not be a bad job, I mean, except for you know being out in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you looked a little looked a little frigid out there. But all right, well we'll we'll move on to New England Revolution two. Colorado Rapids one. Chris Tierney's last minute goal puts the Revolution over the Rapids. Deflection off of a free kick just outside the box. A very horrific place to give a foul up at the at that stage of the game. But Tierney does put it in. Does get a deflection. Tim Howard was upset to say the least. As he is, as he's every prone to get. Time a goal goes in. I want to also mention Nicky Jackson's goal for Colorado was an awesome goal because it was a great ball by Johan Blomberg. Johan Blomberg's pass. Johan maybe. Johan maybe. Johan Blomberg. Looks like it's Dutch. Per- apologize. Perhaps German. Apologies to Mr. Blomberg. He puts in a great ball just on the penalty spot. Practically dots the penalty spot with it, and Nicky Jackson heads it in. It's a shame Colorado doesn't get a point out of it. I. Eh, that's. I'll be honest, this was a game that probably had my attention the least before and during. Nothing against either of these two teams. Um, a little disillusioned to New England playing at Gillette Stadium still and making yeah. no effort for a new stadium, a soccer-specific one, given you know that movement around the league. Any minute now, Mr. Kraft. Any minute. Uh, 13,300, by the way, on the attendance. So 
not much better. Exactly. MLS 1.0. This this is a, this is kind of the this is the kind of two teams I think are kind of holding back the league. I don't want to say that because New England brought in Bradfield. I'm a huge Bradfield fan. I'm really New, happy for him to get the win. New England. I will say there. one thing about New England. You know, if people they're, they're they're quick to criticize Kraft, and I would be too. But I will mention that he did invest in the league at a time when nobody really knew what was going to happen. He stuck with it. He didn't sell when he could have easily sold and dropped his losses on the revolution at a time when the league, I mean, the league wasn't that far away from folding in the mid-2000s, and nobody really knew what was going to happen, and he stuck with it. So the the revolution, I think, do owe him the chance to maybe try to turn this. There's always talk about these stadium plans. They never go anywhere. I feel bad for them because their their home is kind of, it's hard, you know. It's not as hard as maybe New York, but Boston's not exactly open, and they want to be in the metro Honestly. area. Boston's probably tougher because that's such a tiny metro area. That's true. Boston's so well known for its suburbs, almost places like Cambridge and Brookline, Foxborough. Well, yeah, well, Foxborough's even way out there. But yeah, the the, the point is, there's not really that many um, suburban residential areas in the city. Most cities have a couple. Chicago has a lot. Yeah, uh, it's it's a very small city. It's an old city. So here's the thing: the, the Pats bring out fans. They're, they, out to Foxborough. There just needs to be, uh, you know, more for the people need to, you know, get on board with the revolution. They just need a bigger fan base. I'm not sure the stadium is the problem, to be honest. It probably feels a little weird if you're there in this, you know, 60, 70,000 yeah, that, stadium. That's like. You need to have 50. Seattle fan base or Atlanta fan base to pull that off well, yeah. unfortunately for them. A lot of echoes there. Uh, Real Salt Lake 1, Los Angeles FC 5. I uh, don't really know what else to say about LAFC other than they look like they've been playing together for years because the passes that they did on one of their goals, I, I, don't, I don't remember who ended up scoring it now, but remarkable job. Just They pass it all around the 18-yard box, and they convert they again. They just look as if they've they're a well-oiled machine already, which is a pretty scary thought considering that this team just started playing together two weeks ago, essentially. And there's a good piece that I was kind of pointed to in Sports Illustrated watching, uh, I think it was one of the first uh, L.A. games uh, on Sports Illustrated by Luis Miguel Echegare. Now, you'll have to, I'll have to apologize for that pronunciation, uh, about the kind of bond that Carlos Vela and Diego Rossi have made. Uh, they're, they're like two peas in a pod that's coming in. They're both like talking to each to other all the time, trying to, Rossi's really leaning on Vela uh, as a mentor. This this LA team is they look like the real deal to me. As you know, I I can't wait for them to play their home opener. To be honest, because I think oh that's yeah, gonna that's going to be remarkable. Two wins in the road, more than the Union got all year, and this is their first two games. LAFC, I, they I'm putting them right now as favorites to win the West. Wow, the favorites to win you the West. You heard it here. Wow. Someone might have said it before me, but you heard it here at some point <laughs> that's, that's right bold. now. Uh, Tyler Miller on our Northwestern. Uh, graduate did save a penalty before it was tapped in by Joel Plata. I will say one thing: Real Salt Lake is now the first team to hold the lead over Los Angeles. Lasted not very long, and the first team to score on them. Yeah, the first team. To, oh yeah, and the first team to score on them too. Before this, but hey, hey, everything. There's got to be a first for everything, and Real Salt Lake will now be the answer to the trivia question: Who scored the first goal against Los Angeles Football Club? The lead lasted all of about nine minutes before Diego Rossi took over, and then from there, Latif Blessing, Benny Failhaber gets on the score sheet. Diego Rossi again, and Carlos Vela even gets in. WhoScored.com has Carlos Vela at a 10 out of 10, so he apparently played the perfect game. It's it's tough to be perfect, and especially if, I mean, five goals. He had a good game. And here's the thing. Something that's probably not perceived as well as when you go into Real Salt Lake or even Colorado, why these teams are generally pretty good at home, is the altitude. That's true. And LAFC goes in and deals with the altitude. They said, what altitude? Although, to be fair, there's a lot of South American players who are very used to altitude. I'm sure guys like Vela are are very used to it, a lot of the South Americans. But it's uh, still, like, as a whole, you got to deal with it. So kudos to them. Uh, That's, again, excited to see. Real Salt Lake, I think, is going to look about the same as last year. They're always dangerous. I was going to say, hopefully not as much as that. Good. You can't sleep on them at any point, but... I don't. I don't think they're contenders. Yeah, uh, Houston Dynamo one, Vancouver Whitecaps two. Uh, Breck Shea got on the score sheet for Vancouver. That stood out to me. That stood out to me. This guy's still been moved around. <laughs> Poor Breck. He was, you know, touted to be the next, the saving grace of uh, American soccer, and he's kind of playing bit roles now. Good for him to get the. Win- it wasn't the winner. It was the the first goal, right? It was the like, winner, I believe. It was the winner. Yes. Uh, Kai Kamara, who's 
who could be the difference for this Vancouver team moving forward. Uh, he's now two goals in two games. And Not he's, bad. He's been impressive for them. Vancouver plays a pretty gritty style with a one right. forward up top. And he's the kind of guy who, who can play as that single forward and do all the dirty work. So I think they're looking for another strong season in the West. Dynamo at home. After last week, I was really interested to see how they do. I even named it my match of the week just to see what would happen. I, listen, I don't think the Dynamo were, are anything special either. <laughs> they're they're going to fight for that sixth place in the West is my, is my view right now. They may make five or six. There's a couple teams in the West I don't think really have a shot. We'll see. We will see. Uh, the New York Red Bulls take it to the Portland Timbers. We've had a nightmare start to the season. One of the things I wanted to mention in this game was that Tyler Adams finally gets in here. Uh, a lot of people thought that he might even have to start with how in, how much turnover there was in the roster, but in the end he doesn't. He has not seen the field that much. I wanted to – we'll talk about it a little bit with Andrew Carlton in a little bit, but the poor Portland Timbers – <laughs> a 2-1 loss to the Galaxy, and now this. Uh, I will give them some kind of excuse, I guess. I mean, they did have to travel cross-country like for these games. I, I, I guess that's like the nicest thing I could say about this because they got eaten alive here. Uh, listen, there, I don't, it's not time yet just to, to go and panic. It's, it's, uh, it's panic time for Portland. Are they that different of a team from last year, the year before that, or even the like? You know, the year before that when they won MLS Cup. Portland's always going to be a, dan- a dangerous team. They're always going to be an exciting team. Uh, they're, they're making the playoffs for me in the West, and f- for years of Western dominance over the East, it's been moving now. You might have to give the East the benefit of the doubt and as which side is better or stronger. I know Houston did the same thing to uh, Atlanta last week. And now we see kind of closer to what their reality might be. I was saying that this is going to be one of the weaker Red Bull teams that we've seen. A lot of overhaul with the loss of Clutch and Dax in the past few years and Felipe. It's It was a core midfield that was so strong for them. But their youth is doing something right. I mean, we knew that their academy system was strong, but we, it was always going to be hard to say what's what it's going to look like in the future. 18-year-old Benjamin Mines scoring a goal. How about that? Congratulations to him. Carlos Riva couldn't. Carlos couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Rivas getting two goals at the end when it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah. I, I feel like he was kind of a question coming in of how what would he contribute, but he's been good. Uh, Vincent Bezacourt, he had a really good game. Twenty-four-year-old French midfielder. That's uh, they they find a way. I that is one of the credits. Jesse Marsh, another great coach in the league. They find a way to replace their talents. Uh, you know, even when we think Bradley Wright Phillips might be losing a step, he even has stepped up to the plate. And we'll see if they can take this momentum to the Champions League midweek. At home again, well, yeah. I think all signs point to yes. Orlando City won Minnesota United two. Ethan Finley with a brace to deliver the win for Minnesota. How about that? Ethan Finley back Good on the. Finley back. He was on the track for the U.S. Men's National Team at one point. Uh, Orlando City at home now? Kind of weak. They don't we'll look see. Set. They still don't have question in. He's going to be a huge for them. Uh, still missing a couple other guys. They still haven't started Dwyer yet either. Dwyer, yeah, still out. Minnesota, good for them going on the road. Good for Adrian Heath going back on his return to Orlando and getting the result. Again, don't think Minnesota is going to be you know, much better than they were last year, yeah, they maybe got the, slightly so. I think the Fire fans Orlando. would love to have Matt Lampson back. I can tell you that right now. Hey, he's a goalkeeper who I don't think is going to lose you that many points over the course of the year. This is true. Atlanta United 3, D.C. United 1, Battle of the Uniteds. 72,035 is the new MLS attendance record thanks to Atlanta. I believe they now own uh, the top three most attended games in MLS history in it's less amazing. than... In less than two seasons in the league. That's pretty impressive. I do say so myself. Looks like they have a fortress going there. If they can continue to get, I mean, I don't expect them to get 70,000 plus every single game, but I mean, if they can cape up with, the, say, the Sounders numbers. And if you lose 20,000 from that, you still got 50,000 people. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great it? to see. I love to see. It is the home opener, so we'll, we'll also count that in as well. But see, Chicago, this is how you do a home opener. Just saying. Uh, I struggle to say that Atlanta's back on track because I, I, I don't want to jump to conclusions too much. Just like how last week I didn't want to start talking about how maybe they're not as good as they thought they were. 
The truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. D.C. United is not a great team. I don't think Houston's that great of a team either, but we saw what could happen to Atlanta if they're undisciplined. They don't play well defensively. They get absolutely torn to shreds in the back. Now, this week, they fix a lot of their defensive issues. Not all of them, because D.C. United did start at the end, start to put a little pressure on them. Yeah, maybe took their foot off the gas a little bit. I will uh, say that as well. That is possible. I'm just, I think that they need to be careful. Atlanta clearly has a very exposable back line. They do. Very dangerous. Home, they're going to be good. Yeah, they're going to be the very tough to beat The big thing in this game that we're kind of breezing over is you can beat Atlanta once. You can beat Atlanta twice. You can beat Atlanta three times, but D.C. United, <laughs> you cannot beat Atlanta D- four DC times. D.C. United found out what it's like to have to play Atlanta the fourth time. It still baffles my mind that Atlanta, such a strong team last some... year, taking the lead by storm, loses to D.C. three times. I, some... I think that might have been all of D.C.'s wins that year. <laughs> I'm definitely not right. But that's I only wish we had relegation for moments like that to say D.C. United was able to avoid relegation by beating Atlanta three times. Though I don't think they would have, considering they finished last in the East. This is true. Uh, they did. I, wa- I did want to mention that Atlanta went to a back three. They moved Julian Gressel to wing back, so they, they end up playing Garza and Gressel as wing backs. I, I have to say, I was really impressed by the way Gressel was able to play in this game. Oh, yeah, he looked really. he looked like a natural for the position. And see, this is what happens when you actually practice things. Clearly, Tata Martino has his players ready to go for these kinds of situations. They looked prepared. I would have to, I would probably get a little upset with you if you were going to bash Tata Martino's tactical uh, of approach to a game, the guy is obviously... He's the, man's, the man's very, very tactically sound. I'm just saying this is clearly... This is the, uh, the difference, perhaps, between a great and a good manager. A great manager can not only... Uh, has his system, but can adapt it based on what's happening. Last week, they get exposed a lot in the back, so what does he do? He gets an extra center back on the field. He uses two of his hardest-working players as a wing-back position. Julian Gressel very clearly fits this role very well. Mm-hmm. And we had never seen him really play this in an actual game. So this is something that had to have been learned in the training ground, and now we see why. It, it, may, it played to a lot of players' strengths. I still think that it may not be the solution against better teams because I don't think they have three quality center backs that can play this. But I have to say I was impressed by their ability to turn a formation around in the span of a week. And, again, it is just D.C. United, but they turned the game completely on its head. I'm impressed that Martino was able to get these instructions to Julian Gressel because Martino doesn't – he doesn't speak English. <laughs> so I'm wondering, does Julian Gressel have Spanish or they just have a translator? Uh, Gressel is German, so, you know, the, the Europeans are much more advanced in terms of learning languages. So it's possible. So it is possible he knows some Spanish. I mean, I'm thinking of Parkhurst and s- some other guys. It seems like for the most part they have some some natural Spanish speakers, but that was just something I was thinking about when they did the sideline interview. The, uh, yeah, the sideline speak- guy was uh, <laughs> very bilingual, so to speak, and uh, that was that was an interesting to hear. Yeah. That's 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 really all I got. Poor DC United looks like it might be another season of this. Uh, one other thing, no, they I, look stronger. One of one of the one of the things I wanted to have a discussion with you about. There's been a lot of talk that perhaps one of the problems with the U.S. men's national team is that the younger players don't get the minutes that they need to here in the United States because teams are much more inclined to play these uh, foreign players who they think are better because they're you know grizzled veterans of the of the pitch. Well, and they are better. Andrew Carlton gets into this game. A lot of people, you know, there's not a lot of room for him in the squad. I can tell you that right now. We've seen it with uh, Tyler Adams at the Red Bulls. People thought he was going to play. I, where where are we here? Like, are those players good enough to get an MLS sides, or do you think that the the coaches are doing the right thing and leaving them out of the squads? The the big problem is, of course, the uh, the whole college system compared to Europe. Because when you guys like got guys like Diego Rossi coming in as DPs at eighteen, I mean that's 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 that was unheard of just a couple years ago. This is true. Uh, that, We've that, come a long way. I'm lost. Especially with DP D, uh, in Columbus, uh, Valenzuela, DP left back, who's 19. Th- things that are have, uh, you couldn't conceive that even that long ago. Now the teams with the academy system, Davis is going to become a big player. Thing in this team when we look at, at who they have available in the midfield. Even not, they still have a lot of young guys getting time. And I, it seems MLS at one point was give give Americans a chance to play and get better. And now it's an actual competitive league. And so it makes sense how there's so many foreign players and all that. Just my view on it. With the academies fleshing out, especially at Red Bulls, the union's been doing it. It's been happening all across the country. We're going to see a lot more younger guys coming in in their teens and very early 20s and breaking into these teams. 
but give it a couple more years. We'll see. Uh, Carlton definitely will have to play. Uh, he looks talented. Uh, Mar- Martino did mention that if he wants to play, he will have to put in the dirty work because he's already got enough creative attacking players. So he did go in there and make a tackle at the end of the game. He made a quick cameo at the end of the game. So we'll see. Yeah, that'll you'll need a guy to do that dirty work with that, yeah. that lineup. New York City FC 2, LA Galaxy 1, the opener at Yankee Stadium. Always fantastic to watch a game there. Uh, I, I hate it. <laughs> I'll tell I you one thing. I sarcastic, but I hate it. <laughs> it's, I really, it's really interesting to me to go from Atlanta United to Yankee Stadium because the camera is so much further away. It's it, lower. It's yeah, further away. It's, it's insane, right? You can see the, the warning track on the near side while they're filming it. There's an absurd amount of space between the sidelines on various spots and, and the end. Of, you uh, really hate Yankee Stadium, fans. huh? I, I mean... I mean, I don't blame you. I mean, it's, I don't know. Yeah, it's Yankee Stadium is what it is. I think so, you could do it in a baseball field, and it could look a lot better than that. <laughs> but the way Yankee Stadium is set up in certain ways, my God. I Maybe see. they need to move to City Field. That game looked pretty good last year. Yeah, it's it, part of it has to be to, to that. There's teams, uh, at least across USL, who are doing in baseball stadiums and making it look much better. Smaller stadiums, but it doesn't... You can tell you're at a baseball stadium just watching the game where you can barely see the stands. I'm sorry. It's rough. It's the f- and the ma- fact that the field is so tiny, I could rant about this forever. Yeah. So I'm going to hold it here with a tiny field. It, it's good for New York City, though, because they have a home field advantage, which... It's interesting. It is true. It does change the way other teams have to play sometimes. If you want to play long balls, it, the field is completely different than anything you will play on anywhere else. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention, because this game failed to keep my attention despite the marquee names in it, uh, Perry Kitchen and Jonathan Dos Santos, that double pivot in the midfield for LA Galaxy. I was really intrigued because I hadn't seen LA Galaxy play yet to see how that would work. And first of all, Perry Kitchen back from his uh, quick run in Europe over in Scotland. I was interested to see how he'd play. He seemed fine. Jonathan Dos Santos I've always liked as a player, so I was interested to see how he played. He played well, it seems. His brother, not so much. Giovanni Dos Santos was invisible for very large portions of this game. Possibly picked up an injury as well. Yeah, not Kamara not good. Didn't really seem to be getting very much into the game. For the Galaxy, this is not good. I think the big thing is with New York City. Every year, if there's like a lot of question marks, what are the cha- what changes? They made a lot of changes. Brought Chano at center back, who's been very strong for them. Medina has been good up top. Uh, there's a lot of guys struggling to get into that lineup. Uh, who, who you would think would be starters? It seems like it. There's a lot of things that you don't really see coming in. Like oh, well, who, you know. How are they going to fill this spot? What's, they have someone here. They're going to bring. They bring in someone else. Is he going to play? But they got to be up there for contenders to win the league this year in the supporter shield. That will be interesting. They, they do. I mean, passive. they have the talent. They'll have to stay healthy yeah, up top, coach. especially I think because David Villa is such an integral part of what they do in terms of scoring goals. Had a real striker's goal again. Yeah. In this one. Yeah, and he's got. He always gets into good areas. Yeah. Every player I've ever talked to is always. I ask them, who's the hardest person to defend? hardest person to play against. They always say David Villa. And by I mean always, I mean like there's like four or five union guys I talk to about this. And, but the same, it's, it's always David Villa. It's always how do you guard. His movement is so good. And that's how you get those strikers' goals. It's too bad we can't have NYCFC in the Champions League more often. would love to have teams from Mexico having to go play in the cold in a baseball stadium. That would be – I mean, talk about a home field advantage in the MLS. I don't even think those, they could prepare for that. I don't even think they knew what they would get themselves into. Um, yep. All right. Uh, speaking of the Champions League, it's back this week. After last week's games, Tijuana will have to travel now to the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls do get to stay at home, so not only do they host Portland and absolutely hose them, they get to stay there and play Tijuana on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. I think that works out really well for the Red Bulls not having to travel anywhere. And it works out in that whole 21-hour nonstop Champions League fiasco we got going. Uh, that's not a fiasco. That's just, I mean... That that's just an amazing idea. I think of all of all the teams we're going to be looking at in the Champions League, the American teams, Red Bulls probably have the best shot to go through. It's theirs to lose. It well, yeah, they definitely have the advantage. They did not play as great, perhaps, as the two line sco- two nil scoreline implicates, but they got it done. They scored the goals they needed to against Tijuana, who they got a lot out of their goalkeeper Luis Robles, who is a guy who wins you points in goal. And now, apparently, in these cold continental nights. Now Tijuana's got to come up into New York where, let's be honest, they're probably going to have a decent fan base. I mean, that Red Bulls... <clears throat> New Jersey. 
Well, there is a very large Hispanic base, and it was, that was the big discussion around the, the Costa Rica U.S. game there. So. I would, uh, I'm still mystified by that decision, but that's and neither here nor there. Then again, the New York Red Bulls are fans are passionate, and I love. I'm very interested to see how they're going to show up. I do hope they pull that off. Uh, Toronto, they have to travel to Monterrey, which is where Tigres play. Uh, one thing to note, Toronto had the week off, like you, like we mentioned at the top of the show, so they have that going for them as well. They, I don't know when they would have left to train. I imagine they're there now. But they would have had some time to acclimate. That's always very helpful. And they get the game Tuesday night, the second game of the doubleheader at 10 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, 2-1 on is, aggregate. That's going to be a tough one because Tigres was, looked really strong in that game in the cold in Toronto. Uh, it, it took two nice goals for Toronto to bring it back after. I mean, let's be, let's, I, that was a great finish by, uh, by Eduardo Vargas. Uh, Tigres has got a great attacking line. They do. They do. Gignac is going to be, I would think, all over the place because that guy in big games always shows up. They, they got uh, Antonio Valencia, I believe it is, up there with him, and Eduardo Vargas. Any of those guys can pop up and get a goal out of nothing. Going to be tough. Toronto's got the players it takes. Uh, and they have the advantage. And they have, and they, I mean, they gave up an away goal though. Yeah, that's so true. They're gonna need at least one, I think, unless they, unless they, unless they keep a shutout. They keep a shutout, or they need to get one. Well, that'll be. Options, I don't see the shutout. That'll be interesting. Uh, the, New, the New York Red Bulls became the first team to win a knockout stage game in Mexico, which I thought was absurd until I realized it was true. So maybe Toronto will be they, the first Canadian. They team. broke the. They broke the curse. Perhaps. They got the monkey off the back of the MLS teams. Finally, Seattle are heading to Guadalajara to take on Chivas. So they currently lead this one nothing on aggregate. And we'll see. They also had the week off. That helps, I would think. Traveling to a Chivas team that has not played well this season, their best performance of the season probably came against uh, Club America in the uh, Super Clasico of Mexico. And it wasn't even that great. So... I'd say we may have seen the best of that Chivas team, and Seattle has the opportunity now. If they can get one, Guadalajara will need three. That's Again, not a bad situation to be in, right? They, they, but they just need a draw, right? So I mean, they're up one nothing, so they could any any draw, any draw gets them through. And I don't see them go pushing for a goal. To be honest, they they look Dempsey. Showed up strong last game. I always got on <laughs> yeah. Dempsey, but he was there. He always there. does, he right? He always shows up when you need him. Uh, they got some good young wingers, Buana, Wingo. Seattle, they're going to look to defend. Torres and Marshall in the back are going to have to be strong. Svensson's probably going to sit in front of them. Roldan's going to have to put a shift in the midfield. And they're going to, honestly, I'm, they're going to they're gonna look to hit on the break, is my guess. They're going to defend well and hit them where it hurts on the break. And they pick up that one goal, and the game's almost, again, you know, I'm going to be early to say that the game would be over, but it's a very difficult challenge for Guadalajara at that point. It will be interesting because Seattle and New York both come into this game with the advantage, and the winners, they will face each other in the semifinals if that is what happens. So we would be guaranteed an American MLS team in the final. Wouldn't that be something? be like Montreal all over again. Might be better teams than Montreal. Montreal had went on a really crazy run there. That Montreal team was not one of the best to make it that far. And yet they still did it. So, yeah, I mean, anything can happen. It's continental soccer, right? Absolutely. It's the magic of Champions League. The magic of the Champions League. Speaking of the Champions League, we can, uh, we can once again jump back to the actual Champions League, I guess you could say. Ouch. This is the third. Well, actually, it's the fourth different Champions League because if you count my opening statement where I told you you could watch four different Champions Leagues in one day. It's pretty impressive, and it's actually not even the best one. A couple weeks ago, I saw a day where you could watch five different Champions Leagues because the uh, African one was also going on. Yeah, they're, they're really keeping us out of the loop this week. Not yeah, I know. Can you imagine? Five? What's going on? Can you imagine? Uh, let's talk about this real quick. Chelsea are heading to the Camp Nou. 1-1 on aggregate. They're going to need a goal. Are they going to be able to do it? I think you know where I, where I sit on this. They can do it, but they're not. I don't think they're going to do it. They're gonna. Need... Emmett's a dream crusher. Listen, listen. When you go in there, you need a clinical striker. You need to earn yourself one, two chances and put both of them away. Olivier Giroud. Honestly, maybe deserves a start here. <laughs> when we look at Van Persie coming into Camp Nou in the past, he's been, you know, able to put them Useful. away and Spain in general in the uh, World Cup. I don't see our. Uh, I don't see Chelsea having that kind of guy. Uh, Hazard, you know, he's gonna have to be great. He will have to be great. I agree with you on Honestly, that. Honestly, looking at it, William might be their best option of someone who 
can get He's earn been himself, in form, can get himself but I don't enough know. space to get that one shot off outside the box and bury it. I think they, I, I don't think chance. I don't think Chelsea will get an outside the box goal in this one. I think it will have to be an absolute scrapper tap in off a deflection type of goal, maybe off a corner or something. Well, I honestly can't remember the last time Chelsea scored off a corner. So, I they, mean, you give they've been really space. He's brutal. proven in the past two or three games that he'll bury him. So that's their chance. But going into Barcelona, you got Messi, who's looking his usual best. Barcelona in general just playing absolutely amazing soccer. Uh, all their players are kind of just fitting into their roles perfectly. My guess is going to be a 3-0-3 win for Barcelona. Sorry to say it. I know it hurts. That's brutal. Well, I will see you on Wednesday. It'll be a magical game if Chelsea can get a goal. on Wednesday. Chelsea gets one goal. That's going to be a Chelsea exciting gets one, game. Chelsea I mean, gets one goal, and I look forward to the newsroom finding out that I am actually a, my, a maniac. Because I don't think they'll be finding that. I, I think they already know it. I will be. I will be. I would celebrate a 95th minute goal by like, I, I will go to Conte or something st- stupid like that. A 95th minute goal by Conte. I probably would celebrate like, like I would like I would have scored it basically. Well, you know, we want to be surprised, so don't don't give everything away too early. Well, you're right. Happens. We don't want to spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Conte scores a 95th winner for Chelsea. Okay, uh, the other ones: Bayern Munich and Besiktas is probably in the bag. Poor. Poor, poor Kyle Lahren, who really needs to get out there for Bashik doesn't score against Bayern Munich, so I can have a good laugh. Though it is in Turkey, but five goals, good luck. You can actually watch this one before uh, the Chelsea-Barcelona game, since it's uh, since it's in Turkey. They can hold an earlier kickoff. Uh, Manchester United will host Sevilla, 0-0 on aggregate. I think United probably get through. That's just the way things seem to go, unfortunately. Emmett, you got any yeah, argument uh, to that? You know I'm going to disagree with you here. I don't think Manchester United has proven anything in Europe yet. Uh I know. I know what you're saying. They won Europa League last year. <laughs> they did. But for a team that spends about as much as they do, they should. Which is, I'm pretty sure at this point in the past year is more than Man City. Uh, uh, okay, well, it's comparable. Uh, it it's comp- more, it's when, comparable in the sense that when Mourinho was complaining that they don't spend enough money, I was baffled. So let's take it back to 2012, the yes. year post Fergie years. They Good lost times. That. Another Spanish club, Athletic Bilbao, in 2012 in Europa League. Real Madrid in the 2013 Champions League. Bayern, and that was the, uh, the first knockout stage game. Bayern in the quarterfinals in 2014. Missed Europe in 2015. Failed to make it out of the group stage in 2016 in Champions League with PSV Wolfsburg and CSK Moscow. Wolfsburg back when they had Kevin De Bruyne. To be fair, yes, but also the weakest group in Champions League that year. Lost to Liverpool in the second round of Europa League that year. Uh, recently won Europa League, but... Here's what they get through. Fenerbahce, Feyenoord, and Loria Zuhansk in the group <laughs> what stage. What country is that team from? I believe it is Ukraine. Jesus. Then they, had to, then they rolled over St. Etienne, Rostov, Anderlecht, Celta Vigo, and then Ajax in the finals. Now, when I say rolled, it was really only the St. Etienne team that they rolled because they failed to score more than one goal. They only scored more than, pretty they only scored more than once on I three different that. games. It was not pretty. A 3-0 home thrashing to St. Etienne. 2-1 at home to Anderlecht with a late winner that, to be honest, they almost got knocked out in that game. And then 2-0 to Ajax in the final. So it seems like maybe their fortunes are turning around. Sevilla doesn't seem like they're at their best right now. Just lost to Valencia. But I'm, a Spa- I, I'm, not, I'm not Spanish, but I'm a pro-Spanish <laughs> soccer guy. I'm a Spanish guy today. I think Sevilla is going to take it. We'll see. I don't have any like compelling arguments against you. I'm just. I think Manchester United have the better players, and they have the better luck, and they'll have the referees on their side. They'll have the crowd on their side. And yes, I am a firm believer that Manchester United will have the referees on their side. No question about it. When you bring that up, that might have dissuaded my argument. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And it's hard to play 14 on 11. I'll tell you that. Roma take a one to two loss to the Stadio Olimpico against Shakhtar Donetsk. You can watch that one on Facebook Live. Great. I'll have hearts and thumbs up flashing across my screen. I love it. The game. I love it. In case apparently FS2 wasn't good enough for this, so Roma, Roma has quality. I think Shakhtar find a way. Out of, uh, maybe I'm just throwing darts at the board at this point, but I, I think Shakhtar will find a way. I don't think you're throwing darts at the board. It is a team that somehow manages to do this. Uh, Roma a little under. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Under really, under experience, oh. which isn't really a word, but they don't really have the experience in Europe that Shakhtar has in Champions League specifically. Uh, I mean, Shakhtar, they got they got an away goal. That's big for Roma. That's going to be their saving grace, but 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if Shakhtar. It is quite a ways to travel for Shakhtar. We often talk about teams having to go to the Ukraine or to Russia. Well, this is the opposite now. Team and let's be fair, the Italians also do have ultras. You know, <laughs> we, we generally save that for the European teams, but the Italians are also it's called ultras. So also a difficult, uh, a difficult fan base to deal with. All right. Well, there you have it. We'll wrap this thing up and be back to you next week. Uh, match of the week. I'm, uh, I'm going to go with an MLS. Atlanta United taking on Vancouver Saturday, 7.30 Eastern. I, okay, so now we've seen Atlanta at their worst. We've seen Atlanta at their best. Potential best. But uh, I mean, 3-1 over D.C. United. I'm sure they probably could have made it 7-1 if they wanted to. Uh, I will say this. I want to uh, Now I want to say, because this is a real quality Vancouver side. I, this is the best team they will have played so far. And it's a Vancouver team that will play a lot similar to Houston than I would think that they would play against than uh, DC United. So I, I just want to see, right? It would be at home for Atlanta. What will Vancouver do going in there? It'll be another challenge for them, absolutely. Yeah, I, I just want to see it, right? Because uh, that's a very good matchup, I think. Now I'm going to put two games forward for all you lucky fans that are going to be great to watch. Philadelphia-Columbus. Of course, I'm going to Philadelphia. They've been playing great at home. The team looks re-energized. They've been playing great. Meanwhile, Columbus... Playing better. Let's, let's be honest. Columbus has been, I mean, a 3-2 to Montreal kind of kept them on their toes, but they they go out and they attack on the road. They did it to Toronto. Wouldn't be surprised if they did it to Philadelphia. This game will be end-to-end. But for uh, the unbiased fan of me, is going to have to say Montreal versus Toronto. The Canadian Derby, the real Canadian Derby, sorry to Vancouver, who uh, already played Montreal. Uh, but that game... You can tell the Montreal fans have this little brother mentality with Toronto. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. The, the noisy neighbor, if you will, like Man City. It's a real shame because I quite like Montreal more than I like Toronto. Their fans are energized. They speak in French. What's not to like? <laughs> That'll be an exciting game. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, there you have it. Games to watch out for. We'll be back next week probably talking about games like that. Thank you for listening, and that's all we got. Bye.